in the chill of the night at the scene of a crime like a streak of light he arrives just in time spider-man spider-man friendly neighborhood spider-man well then think he's ignored Episode 176 for April 2012. The Spider-Man Crawl Space Podcast is sponsored by MailOrderComics.com. They have today's comics at yesterday's prices. An example is on the Spider-Man Spider-Hunt trade paperback. Now, you've heard JR talk about this one in previous shows. This one collects the Who Was Joey Z storyline, and it collects Sensational Spider-Man 25 and 26, along with Amazing 432 to 433, Adjectiveless Spider-Man 88 to 90, and Spec Spidey 254 to 256. Now, the cover price for this trade is 30 bucks. Mail order has it for just $18.59, which is 38% off the cover price. So check them out at MailOrderComics.com. Also, like them on Facebook. Just type in MailOrderComics in the search bar. Message board questions. Crazy Chris. Location. He's living in hell, it says. (laughs) He's not married, is he? (laughs) VD, I don't recall whether this has been addressed in the podcast, but I've noticed that over the last couple months, the standard length of The Amazing Spider-Man title has decreased from 22 pages to 20. Meanwhile, the price has recently risen from 2.99 to 3.99. Do you feel this is a decrease in value for money and do such considerations impact your enjoyment of the comics? Um yeah, less quantity and making it more expensive, I think does. 3.99, we just addressed that in JR's review. If th- these works, books were 75 cents a pop, we wouldn't be so pissed, I don't think. Even back in 1980, 75 cents wasn't that much. You, you could find that on your uh, nightstand. <laughs> well, that sounds bad. And you, you know, in your change dish, etc. It takes a lot of quarters to add up to four bucks. Wasn't it because like uh, they they have the letters pages in there now? Like the- they used well, they I remember when they upped the price to 3.99, they they tried to even it out by having a, more backups in in Amazing. And then they stopped. <laughs> just charge you more. They just, they just said, screw it, we're just going to charge you more. You're going to pay for it, so go ahead. So, what do you guys think? Is that, uh... I've definitely noticed the pacing. Um, like, during the two-part Grady Scrap storyline, the end of part one, the ending felt a little more abrupt to me, like, because when you read a story, like, you kind of get a sense on how many pages you've been reading. Yeah. And I was really surprised when it ended, because I thought, like, the book was kind of just picking up, like... I did. So there's definitely been a few issues where w- when it's ended, I felt like, wait, what? That's it? Didn't I just start this thing? And, n- and not in a Brian Michael Bendis kind of way, but then like, uh, this has only been like a certain amount of pages. What do you guys think? It's it's a common theme now to include like four pages of a preview, like Avengers versus X Men is in the back of every Marvel book, like the first four pages. I wish we would stop doing that. Well, I mean, it's it's like a. I'm not interested in doing it, but like, I mean, I, I get I get Spider-Man for Spider-Man. It's cool they want to advertise that, but they're basically like subtracting the story that I paid for for a story that I might not get. Yeah. 
JR, in your recollection, what are Doc Ock's worst crimes that are known to the general public in the Marvel Universe? In light, in light of his history, does it ring true that the Marvel public seems eager to forgive him after his demonstrating his global warming solution? Oh, well, but the boy hasn't brought me my scotch yet, so <clears throat> I'm a little dry here. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Chris, boy, you know, I wanted to actually research this a little bit, and I just didn't have time, so I couldn't. You know, Josh might know off the top of his head. I don't know what Doc's worst crimes are. I mean, you know, he did want to, he did want to try to blow up New York with a nuclear bomb, but did the general public know about that? I don't know. Um, you know, a lot. When you think about it, a lot of these supervillains crimes do handle outside the, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, outside the, uh, I guess, the general public's knowledge. But the thing is, though, this is the same Marvel universe where Norman Osborn went from dressing in a, you know, green and purple goofy costume, throwing teenage girls off, throwing college girls off bridges, you know, and other things, and you know, everybody trusts him with their security. Um, so we've got that level of absurdity anyway. But to put it in a real world perspective. You know, I, and I don't want to get political here because I despise both political parties. I belong to none. But, I mean, come on. You know, Teddy Kennedy, you know, screws a young girl on some island. And she dies and she drowns under mysterious circumstances. And the people of Massachusetts dutifully reelect him time and time and time again. Think of all these scumbags. Look, Newt Gingrich, people vote for Newt Gingrich even though he's been divorced twice. He's on his third He's on his third wife, and he's got six-figure accounts at Tiffany's. I mean, people, for whatever reason, for some, are willing to forgive scumbags if they tell them what they want to hear. And if people, are, people who are worried about global warming hear that someone can, take, take, can cure it or take care of it, you know, there's a lot of people that won't care what else the guy has done. You know, when you put it that way, that actually makes a lot of sense. I agree. That's very good, Jared. George, when Johnny Storm and Spidey were in that space station and they had the advanced cell phone that could supposedly call anyone, why didn't they just call the Avengers of the Fantastic Four for help instead of calling ground control and telling them to cut off their oxygen? Because Dan Slott writes Spider-Man as a clueless twit. That's crazy, Chris. In a nutshell, I don't have anything else. That's, that's, that's it. <laughs> Uh, he had one for Zach about Doc Ock's tentacles. Uh, the ends of them are giant clamps now instead of finger-like pinchers that used to be. What do you guys think of that? Well, they, they went after the movie design. Yeah, I think they, I think so, too. Bertoni, what's your opinion of the Circle of Four storyline in Venom? I Man. hated it, and I'm glad that it's over. Um, yeah. I've been liking the Venom series, and this last issue that just came out was, like, the best issue that they've had in a while, and... The beginning of Circle of Four, it was, like, really interesting. Red Hulk comes in to take Flash Thompson back to the army for deserting them. And because it's General Thunderbolt Ross, like, you know, he's he has, like, an attitude about who Flash is. Like, oh, you're an army deserter. You're a coward. You're this. And, like, they had a really good interaction going. And these are both Marvel characters that have been around since, like, the early Silver Age that have never interacted with each other. And they have this dynamic, like, man, this this is creative. And this is, you know, how to mine these characters for great possibilities. But then Mephisto comes, you know, and 
uh, X-23, and I guess, like, a ghost rider with boobs, and Flash Thompson is fighting <laughs> demons in hell, and it's, like, it's mm-hmm. the same guy who, like, says to Peter Parker in Amazing Fantasy 15, like, oh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm going out with Sally Avril, twerp, you know, you stick to the test tubes, you know, I'm going to stick to the chicks. He's fighting, like, demons in hell. <laughs> it's, it's, it's weird. It's not Flash Thompson. I mean, it, it's cool for a Doctor Strange book or something, or maybe a Ghost Rider book, but... And not a Flash Thompson book. I didn't like it. I I think that Ghost Rider, that female Ghost Rider, is such a horrible book. I mean, I I, I and just to throw her in here, title? I just think ru- ruined it a lot. She has her own title. And yeah, she does. She she it last nine or canceled? ten issues. Yeah, it got canceled. But it's a horrible, horrible book. And. and and I don't know why they wanted to go the route of the female Ghost Rider. I think Johnny Blaze is fine. Uh, Where about Dan, Danny Ketch? Where'd he go? Danny Ketch was a good design, too, but this one's just awful. One of the and Ghost I, Riders is her mentor or something. Who knows? Um, but I, I can't. I'm on part like two. I think I'm in the X23 part, and I just find it to be horrible. Really, really bad. Uh, Don, in your reviews and posts about the first part of Ends of the Earth, one of your biggest criticisms seems to be Doc's Ox over-the-top villainous monologue while he was activating his global warming machine. seems that you thought it was too grandiose or too comic booky. What would your response to the following counter-argument? This speech is coming from a guy named Dr. Octopus who is standing in an underwater fortress with a guy dressed like a rhinoceros and another guy with a fishbowl for a head. Doesn't it make it more sense to embrace some of the absurdity rather than to deny it? It's a good, good question. Yes, it does. It makes total sense that he would uh, act that way. And I think that it isn't in character for Dr. Octopus to kind of adhere towards the, the supervillain cliches. My problem with it is it's in direct contrast with the tone and it kind of on it's, it's sort of on two different roads. One side, he's right on the road of cliche comic book supervillainy, which makes mainstream audiences not want to read comic books, while everyone else more or less acts like they're in the real world. And that's essentially why I don't like Dan Slott's dialogue. Um, I have no problem with Doctor Octopus acting like a cheesy villain. I, I enjoy that. I like in the movies where he says, you know, the power of the sun and the palm of my hand. The difference is he's saying it to himself. He's sort of getting he's sort of getting absorbed in his own genius or whatever. He's not telling people, yes, I'm such a genius and this is my plan. And he's not addressing people like they live in his world. He's addressing, or he is. But it's sort of, my problem with it is that I think it speaks more of Slot's intentions as a writer. And this is, this is, this is sort of a uh, personal thing for me because I'm, <laughs> a month from now, I'll, I'll have my bachelor's degree in uh, creative writing. So, I can recognize when Slot is actually trying to make a comic book feel like a comic book, and I can appreciate that from a fan's perspective. I don't like it from a writer's perspective because it feels like it feels very, very like like he's playing with toys. So when you have him when you have him talk like no one else in the world would, it it also it also goes towards more that ASM as a title is a lot less feels a lot less sophisticated than everything else in Marvel does which I really hate. I don't like the fact that you can read a Fantastic Four comic and Doctor Doom can be a supervillain but talk like a normal person, but Doctor Octopus sounds like he's from a cartoon. I really despise that. And while I, 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 I wouldn't have a problem with the dialogue if the whole comic book was like that, but if you're going for the whole 
uh, he's always been, Dr. Octopus has always been like that. Yeah, he has, but Spider-Man has always called him on it. The reason why Stan Lee wrote Spider-Man to be so sarcastic was because Stan Lee was in the comic book industry for 20 years and felt it was cliche. So basically Spider-Man making fun of the way Dr. Octopus talked was Stan Lee doing that and kind of, you know, lampshading on the whole Spider-Man cliches. And that's, that's what basically made the characters who they were. When you're basically writing the character like that and pretending that there's nothing, there's nothing observational about it, you're kind of just making the comic book to be like a very, you know, tongue-in-cheek kind of dumbed-down thing, and I don't really like that. It's a good, good answer, too. Uh, Steve Rogers from New York City. Brad, what's the, been the most obscure or funniest Spider-Man-related song you found for the show Opening Files? Um, there's an Indian Spider-Man song that I think is kind of weird. It's the Spider-Man. I like that one. You can't understand what the hell they're saying, but I heard the Spider-Man. Uh, back in the 70s, evidently, there was a soul song named I'm a Spider-Man. It just, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that one's hilarious. Uh, it's amazing. I don't think there's another character, at least comic book related, that you can find so many interpretations of, A, his 1960s song from the cartoon, or just in general songs He's in a lot of songs that you would never suspect. I, 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 you think of "Don't Tug on Superman's Cape," but I can't think of another Superman song. Pocket full of kryptonite. That one too. But I, I've I've done 172 shows and and somehow I've worked um, a new Spider-Man five, song in there. Five for fighting the Superman song, but it's not. What is it? I'm only a bird. Like, I'm only a yeah, bird. that one. That's about Superman. That one. Megan for kryptonite. But would tonight's you guys music agree? Is small. Tonight's episode of Smallville had music by Lifehouse. Do you there's think there's another song hero out there that has that many people performing? Nova. Different Nova. Nova. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think you're right. I, I, I'm surprised that you managed to find. You I am too. One song once. I, I, I maybe I have. George called me out on it once, but. Okay, never and mind. And for the anniversaries, I like to do Last Dance with Mary Jane. I did that for it. Episode number one. Oh, I love that song. That was great. In episode number one hundred, I did Last Dance for Marriage. Really oh my my! Oh hell yes! Yeah, I heard a Tom Petty song the other day, and I, I said, you know what? I can work this one in. It's called Free Fallen because he, he free falls from from nah, the air. When the, when the <laughs> Only when he runs out of web fluid. Whoa. But no, as I was listening to it, as he's free fallen and he, he sees the vampires. Uh, on uh, oh, how does that line go? Ventura um, Boulevard. Vampires on Ventura Boulevard. I was like Morbius. There's a connection there. Yeah, on Ventura myself, Boulevard. I, I I find myself in the car saying, "Hmm, could that be an opening song?" Next week, Brad's going to say, "You know what we need to use is uh, Britney Spears hit me one more time." You know, because Spider-Man hits people and they hit him. Not as <laughs> tiny. On, I'm sh- on show 172. You come up with new shit. <laughs> 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 For Tony, along with Betty Brand, who else would rank in the top five most insane Marvel girlfriends? Oh, yeah. Okay. This ought, this ought <laughs> yeah, this was a fun question. <laughs> um, in no particular order, Heather Glenn, who was Daredevil's, like, um, those who read the Frank Miller one remember her as, like, Daredevil's kind of, like, social, like, girlfriend who was like, oh, Matt, why are you off fighting the Kingpin when you should be taking me to the opera or something? But, like... When you read her first appearances, this girl, like, I was totally surprised. Like, she is not like anyone remembers her. Like, 
Matt moves into his new apartment after breaking up with the Black Widow, and Heather Glenn bursts in there, and she says, Frankie, is that you? Oh, oh, sorry, you know, random stranger. My boyfriend lived here a while ago, but he moved without telling me, and I've been waiting outside the apartment ever since, and I saw that the lights were on, so I figured that he might be back. Say, you're kind of hot. Want to have sex with me? And he's like, uh, woman, get out of here. And then, like, the next issue, he he's home, and she's, like, already in the apartment waiting for him or something. And she's like, guess what? Remember that boyfriend, Frankie, I told you about? It turns out he got married. Now there's nothing to stop us from being together. <laughs> and, like, Foggy Nelson's, like, calling him about, like, whatever villain shenanigans are going on that issue. And Heather's, like, trying to, like, and Matt's, like, trying to get her off of him while he's on the phone. He's like, stop, stop, get off of me. And he's like, look, look, woman, I'm leaving. Don't be here when I get back. And then she says, oh, but I will be here when you get back. And then, like, by the third issue of this, she's just, like, referred to as his girlfriend. Like, she basically, like, bullied her way into being his girlfriend with, like, being persistent. And then after the Miller run, it's like, she dies under very, like, screwed up circumstances. Then, like, you know. Uh, way of uh, yeah, Foggy Nelson and Natasha Romanoff kind of had a hand in her death that they've never owned up to, and that kills me to this day. But, man, sh- she's nuts. And, like, um, if if you're my friend on Facebook, I have an album of, like, uh, Heather Glenn's early stuff. Her eyes are all bugged out. Like, she looks like, she looks like she's brain damaged. It's crazy. Other crazy Marvel female, Dory Evans, the Human Torch's <laughs> girlfriend from the 1960s, who's basically like the teenage version of a shrew. Like, anytime Johnny Storm's about to do something, she's like, don't you dare. Nuh-uh, Johnny Storm. You don't dare use your powers to save those people. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll be so mad at you. And, like, there's an issue of Spider-Man where, like, she even hates children. You know, she was wow. nuts. Yeah. Like, she's like, oh, you kids playing, you know, something like that. And she used Peter Parker to make Johnny Storm jealous. She's she's nuts. Um, Lijah. Uh, she, oh, my gosh, Lijah. I'm going to try and sum up Lijah as quickly as I can. First of all, she impersonates Alicia Masters to try and infiltrate the Fantastic Four, sleeps with the Human Torch, and then Ben Grimm comes back home from Battleworld and sees Johnny and Alicia in bed. Now... If you're in this situation, you've been caught cheating on your boyfriend with your boyfriend's best friend, you and the boyfriend would likely be the two people in the situation that would, you know, be on the receiving end of the insults. Elijah turns that around. She, like, slaps Ben in the face and says, Ben Grimm, how dare you be mad at me and Johnny for having this thing going on behind your back? You should be ashamed of yourself for walking in on us having sex. I am so disappointed in you right now. Like, <laughs> Teddy Bram. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, and then and then when she and and you know, of course they get married, and when they find out that she's Liza, she's like, Oh Johnny, I'm so sorry I lied to you, but there's something you don't know. I'm carrying your child. So they go back to Scroll World to rescue Alicia, and in the process, Elijah takes a bullet for Johnny, and she's like, It's too late for me, Johnny. I'm dying. I'm dead. Leave me. I'm dead. Remember this. This becomes important later. I'm dying, and I'm giving you permission to leave me. By the way, there's no baby. And then Johnny's like, I won't leave you. She's like, no, leave me. I promise you I'm dying and that there's no baby. She comes back in like 20 issues, yelling at him, how dare you leave me to die, especially when I was pregnant with your child. And he's like, woman, what? (laughs) You said that there was no baby. She's like, and you said that you were dead. She's like, oh, and you're an expert on scroll, you know, death right now? 
And then she kind of hangs around the team for a while, and she gets mad at Johnny for dating other people when, you know, they're not in a relationship. She says that they're pregnant, by the way. And then she gives birth to the baby, which turns out to be an egg. And she's like, oh, I forgot to tell you, Johnny, you're not the father, because it's an egg or something. I forgot and to tell you when I lied to you and told you. And then the egg turns into a giant monster that was, like, programmed to kill the FF. And she's like, oh, by the way, uh, it was never a baby. It was a trap to kill you all. But now that that's all taken care of, we can go out again. Kiss me, Johnny. And he's like, woman, I never want to see you again. So she doesn't leave him alone then. She follows him, like, in another identity to an archaeology dig. And she's, like, mad at him for flirting with other girls then, you know, after she tried to kill him multiple times. So she disguises as a human woman who he winds up dating there. The list goes on. That's just, you know, the bottom of the barrel with Elijah. Another FF girl, uh, who I guess is number three, Sharon Ventura, who turns into the sheep. Mm. Oh, my gosh. If you read those Steve Englehart issues of Fantastic Four when she's Miss Marvel, like, she is the most screwed up person ever. Um, I'm not reading the chat window. Okay, just making sure that there was nothing going on there. Is it beeping? She, like, she, apparently she got gang-banged in a Captain America story, so she doesn't want anything to do with men. Like, she doesn't Lord. want a man to touch her. She doesn't want to be around men. She's psychologically screwed up, and, like, she's talking to Ben Grimm about this. She's like, oh, Ben, what should I do? My life is a mess, and, you know, and I can't even be near a real man, but you're not a real man, so you don't count. What should I do? And Ben says, what you're going to do is join the Fantastic Four. And Don and I were reading these issues, and they're like, there's no reason this woman should be a superhero. She's like, she's too psychologically damaged to be in the position of responsibility. And sure enough, there's an issue coming up where, like, Johnny Storm is falling to his death, and only Miss Marvel can save him. And she's, like, getting ready to do it. She's getting ready to jump up and catch Johnny. And as she's about to do it, she says, no, no, I can't touch him. He's a man. He's so tight and masculine. Ew. And lets Johnny fall to his death. And I think Crystal wants <laughs> <laughs> and then the issue that she becomes the she thing she's like running around trying to kill herself the whole issue saying she wishes she was dead and I, I kid you not like half the issue is like her trying to kill herself and failing it's there is no reason that this woman should have been a superhero and the only reason that Ben Grimm let her on the team was at, the, at that time he was trying to get into her pants and eventually he got into her <laughs> pants a, a bit of a postscript is, like, she, they oh. wind up getting together, but then, like, she turned evil and betrayed them all and tried to kill them on a few different occasions. It, it, it got weird. Uh, let's see. That's, that's it, got, three girls got it got weird. He got in the rocky pants. I think that's four. What's what's the last one? Uh, yeah, I did Lija, Dory, Sharon, Ventura, Heathergan. Okay, I thought I thought long and hard about this. And I have Felicia on this list. Now, she's made up for her crazy by doing, you know, like, lots of other nice stuff. But there's just, I can't get over that Peter David story where Sabretooth is attacking Felicia. Spider-Man saves her. And, like, Felicia's mad at him, saying, how dare you save me? That was so embarrassing. And she yells out her apartment window at him, I'll get even with you if it's the last thing I do. (laughs) Like, a year later this whole elaborate plot to get even with him for saving her life involves like her apartment's blown up. A man has been murdered. Like a man lost his life because, you know, for like, for this plan, like, cause Felicia and foreigner set this whole thing up that like, you know, they're killing the new version of the blaze and they take, but Felicia secretly took a picture of it so she can exonerate Spider-Man and like embarrass him by being the one to save him. 
And it's... So this guy's dead. Spider-Man's been framed for it because only Spider-Man can break through a jail cell, of course, you know, in the Marvel Universe. Felicia's moved into Peter's apartment and is, you know, and is sleeping with him again. And, like, they're together. They're a couple. But she's also sleeping with the foreigner and setting them up for a war with each other. Cut to, like, the last chapter. Spider-Man has had this epic showdown with the foreigner. He's outside of the foreigner's townhouse. The cops are surrounded by him everywhere. Like, guns are pointed at him. And Felicia, like... And Felicia shows up, she's like, hey, Spider-Man, do you want my help now? You know, just like with Sabretooth. And he's like, no. And then she's like, oh, perfect, now we're even. Shows the picture of the murder <coughs> to the cops. Spider-Man's exonerate. And then she writes him a letter like, yeah, yeah, that'll teach you to try and, you know, save me from Sabretooth. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> I guess we're even now. Next time. Like, this whole big elaborate plot, because he saved her from Sabretooth, that's just insane. And then, of course, she comes back later and, like, you know, dates Flash Thompson just to mess with Peter. So, the perfect yeah, fool. she's on that list. Wow. Very good, very good thought into that one. Don, what are your what are some of your all time favorite original graphic novels? Are there any original Spider Man graphic novels besides Parallel Lives? Hooky, uh, Fear Itself. Not read. Um, Wasn't there like that Whispers in the Earth or Seasons of the Earth or something? Spir- where went? Spirits of the Earth. Yeah. yeah. Okay. There's that one. Because <laughs> uh, I'm sure I've read. read I'm not read any. Uh, of those. Wasn't there like Spider Man Daredevil to the Death or something like that? that there's, there's shots that are kind of like I wanted novels. to read that I mean like I, I'm trying to think of, I've read they, they went out in the late 80s uh, so Don probably before you started collecting yeah that was, that was when I was being born yeah exactly uh, <laughs> the, only one, the only one I can talk to my head is like uh, uh, I love Batman Ego that's one of my favorite Batman stories like, that's literally like in the top two favorite Batman stories of all time by written and illustrated by Darwin Cook now I was trying to think of a Spider-Man one because I know I read a lot of Spider-Man stuff, but all the like, graphic stuff, all the graphic novels are apparently from the '80s. Return of the Living Monolith. He was ba- briefly in that one. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, let's see. Uh, there was Avengers: The Vault with Ven- uh, early Venom appearance. That was an original graphic novel. Uh, Jr., what is a better episode in your opinion, The Trouble with Tribbles or The City on the Edge of Forever? Um, I just got to make a couple comments about. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, on Bertoni, excuse me, uh, Bertoni's rant on insane Marvel girlfriends. Um, one, it reminded me that in Gang War, there's actually a confrontation between Felicia and Mary Jane, uh, where Mary Jane goes to Peter's apartment and Felicia's there, you know, and Felicia calls her Molly Joe, and, uh, <laughs> and 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 Mary Jane just fly, you know burst into Peter's bedroom and he's trying to sleep and she's just furious. She goes, "Molly Joe," and that's that's another reason to pick that up. That's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice. Also, you know, comic creators always like to tell us, you know, when we disagree with them or we don't like something, they always like to imply that you know we're a bunch of uh, sexless dweebs who live in our mother's basement and have never met a girl. Yep. Well. Considering how some of these they write women, do they understand women any more than they accuse us of not understanding or knowing women? I mean, look how they write. I mean, come on. What, what did I say about them last time we were talking about that Daredevil story? Uh, I don't know. I wasn't on the entire podcast. You were pretty last angry last time. You said yeah. a lot of things. I can think of Yeah, no, no I, I was going to bite my tongue, but you're right, JR. It, 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 it speaks for itself. 
So Jr. J- uh, Joan Collins nah. or Harry M- Harry Mudd? Let's get back to the subject. Uh, well, well, Harry Mudd's not in this one. No. I'm sorry. The 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 question is uh, Steve Ro- or the answer is Steve Rogers. What's a better show, Law and Order, SVU, or How I Met Your Mother? Um, it de- <laughs> it depends on all what you're asking for. Trouble with Troubles is a silly comedy. Uh, which, which, well, they're both very good episodes. They're, they're almost both of them are universally in almost any Star Trek fans' top ten. Uh, but they're very different episodes. Trouble with Trembles is a comedy. Sitting on the Edge of Forever is a is a tragedy, uh, where the hero has to make a a devastating choice, uh, and fortunately one that makes more sense than selling his soul to the devil, but uh, or you know selling his marriage to the devil. Um, so really, I don't know. Sitting on the Edge of Forever is the better dramatic story, but Trouble with Tribbles is a comedy. So you know they're both good stories. Uh, as a uh, an aside to that, um, Harlan Ellison has complained for many years because Harlan Ellison wrote Sitting on the Edge of Forever. Uh, all sci-fi fans know uh, Mr. Ellison's temperament, and he has ranted and raved for many years, for many decades, about what Gene Roddenberry did to his script and to his story. Um, Gene Roddenberry does a lot of things, and Gene Roddenberry did lie quite a bit about Ellison's version of the story. But there's a book out that has Ellison's original script, and honestly, the TV version, which was actually written by Dorothy Fontana, is actually better than Ellison's original version. So anyway. Mm. Uh, Side note. JR, you posted this on your Facebook. The Las Vegas Star Trek Enterprise attraction that is going to be that could that could have been taller than the Empire State Building. Oh, oh what in the world, man? That'd be fun to go to, but what the hell were they thinking? I know. I um, well, wow. I mean, it's one of those things. The Las Vegas, you know, Las Vegas. What it was was downtown Las Vegas was yeah. losing all its business to the strip. So they wanted they wanted people to have an attraction to come down down to and they you know, they hired this creative firm to come up with something. And, you know, creative people come up with creative stuff with absolutely little little relation to reality. I mean, yes, it would have been awesome. But for, can you imagine I mean Oh, we they can't even construct. Look how big that thing is! They can't. Even, My God! Contractors can't even build a house where the roof doesn't leak, or the walls don't crack, or the foundation doesn't. I mean, how in the world could they build this? This thing would have been, you know, oh, grossly over. And they were already talking about, well, how do we support the saucer section if the wind blows? Oh, well, we'll put it. We'll put up. We'll, we'll put up scaffolding that makes it look like it's in dry dock. I mean, come on, you know, that's stupid. Is this thing the scale? Is this like like what it will look like? Oh, it was. Life? It would have. It was. It was, yeah. it was proposed many years, twenty years ago. So. You know why they're bringing it up now? Why they're bringing it up now? I'm I'm not sure why, but yes, it would have been a full scale mock up of the Enterprise in downtown Las Vegas. And uh, honestly, God, it is just the. I wonder stupid, why the economy's so bad. Oh, uh, it is the stupid. You, you know, it would you couldn't build the thing, and any even if you built it, you couldn't keep things from going wrong with it. You couldn't charge people enough to go into it. A hundred and fifty million dollars it would have cost in nineteen ninety two dollars. Oh, and that's wow. what they say it would have cost. It would have cost a lot more. Oh, it been... would have gone over budget. Oh yeah. my god, everything. <laughs> oh my god, that's a crazy idea. <laughs> that's crazy. I, I just had to hit that up. Oh again. yeah. George, do you have any good and fun horror stories from the Hero Realm days about potential interview subjects rejecting to be interviewed or what have you? No, um, no, not really. I mean, we got. All the interviews 
that we wanted back in the day. They didn't always go so well. Um, the Jameis interview, I think that Alex did, and the Quesada interview led to a lot of uh, a lot of Quesada and Jameis both going back and forth and arguing with our message board posters over there. But I think that's what Jameis and Quesada wanted to begin with. Um, no, I mean, we didn't really get rejected or anything. I mean, some of the memorable interviews I did were with Stanley and John Romita Jr., so it was it was an overall good time. Now, the most difficult part of Hero Realm was dealing with uh, Fedinger when he, you know, because <laughs> you know, he gets so liquored up and, you know, he'd, he'd send in, you know, these, hey, I got my new Spidey Kicks butt thing up and I'm reading it and I'm like, wow, where, you know, were you, were you high when you wrote this? Were you huffing glue out of a sock? <laughs> why, don't you, why don't you go revise this, champ? You know, I mean, I, the, the, the original draft we got for the uh, why did it have to be you, Mary Jane, for putting crayon for for crayon lab. Nice, uh, Greg XB from New York. Uh, Jr., how do you feel about the end of Bendis's? Oh God! Oh Jesus! Bendis's Osborne arc. I thought it was atrocious. Did you read this shit, Jr.? Osborne and Tidy Whitey's turning red. They turn purple. It's, still, today. it's horrible, dude. Everyone um, knows that Osborne's a boxer, man. <laughs> no, he's he's a brief man. <laughs> <laughs> Evidently, I you know we've been what the hell, Jr. At this for so long, I really can't. To quote <laughs> to quote dearly departed, but not forgotten, Kevin Cushing. It sucked prison ass. Uh, <laughs> it was tremendous. Like you know, it, it's like. I, I can't even describe how stupid it is. The only thing that makes the only thing remotely logical about it is that it proves my case that Norman Osborn is the guy to beat himself. Norman, that's the thing. You have to eventually wait for Norman to do something stupid and self-destructive, and he will do it. That is Norman Osborn's character. So it is Norman's character. But oh my God, this was. Stupid, you know. It was. It, it is almost yeah. like Bendis came up through it. You know, Bendis. I don't know what is. To me, it's almost like okay. Was this just an overlong promo for Dark Aven- your Dark Avengers title? Because aren't they converting Thunderbolts from Dark to Dark Avengers? Yeah. You know, it's like like he just wrapped it up. Like okay, got to finish this up. I'm moving on. Exactly. It was like oh shit, we're oh. starting Avengers versus X Men, and then I'm leaving the Avengers. Better wrap it up. Oh, let's let's turn them red and put them in some white tidy whities I'm out. Awesome <laughs> Android or Adaptive Android or something like that. It was all, yeah, he, it was a super adaptoid or something like that. Horrible, horrible. Blasphemy. And, and uh, Osborne melted and is now in a coma, evidently. <sighs> There's oh. another question about, do I think Ben has ruined him forever? I'll, I'll address that one. Yeah. <laughs> Who asked George, that? George, first off, you nearly murdered me with that Spider-Man porn review. Keep up the good work. Second, you said recently that Spidey should be able to beat the Sinister Six in his sleep. I suppose that makes me wonder, about fi- after 50 years... How do we keep these bad guys a legitimate threat? Well, for one, you don't plan for comic relief. You know, I mean, it's hard to take any villain seriously when you're trying to get laughs with them, you know. Um, it's purely situational. I mean, if you want a legitimate threat from a villain, you know, it's, it's got to be high stakes. But at the same time, you've got to give the hero more to do and distract. Like with the Sinister Six of Spider-Man. If he goes at them and they go at him, he will eventually beat the living hell out of them. He, he has fought them so often that he can quite literally end the fight, direct the flow of the fight, and have them working against one another without even realizing it. Okay? Yeah. Now, if they start doing other stuff, if they're 
harming innocents. If they do something like, oh, okay, well, now you're going to have to fight us, and oh, by the way, find a way to save the 30 people inside this train station. You know? That's where you start throwing him off. I mean, when he's got to multitask, he, he can multitask to a point, but when he's having to do that much, he's invariably going to slip, and his spider sense will go off. What, what's funny is a lot of times his spider sense will go off, and he already knows he's going to get hit. You know, he's like, oh, here it comes, and then like, wham, it happens. Um, so I think that w- that's the best way to keep him a threat is to not overpower him per se, but you know, just get him doing too much to the point where finally they're going to they're going to get. Bertoni, since you weren't around last month, Betty screwing Robbie in the porno while wa- writing an article on sexual harassment in the workplace. Your thoughts? <laughs> it was funny because. Um, there's actually like a <laughs> Betty Robbie uh, having an affair subplot in Web of Spider. No. Okay, no, no. There, there's a twist to it. it. This was. I don't remember if Howard Mackey was still writing or if it was Terry Cavanaugh at that point, but it was right after that, like, Betty's Got Guns storyline. You know, mm. Peter starts telling Mary Jane how he feels so close to Betty now and, like, it makes Mary Jane uncomfortable. And then. Betty starts like Betty starts like showing up to dinner like uninvited at the house. So Mary Jane like goes to Betty's apartment saying, "All right, you know that's it. I, I need to have a talk with this woman because she has a history of this shenanigans." And when she open and then she sees like a man silhouette in the window, she's like, "Oh my god, that two timing hussy!" And then when she opens the door, she's like ready to yell at Peter, but it's Robbie. And then like Mary Jane's like, "Oh, Mister Robertson, how are your wife and son?" And Robbie's like, I don't know what you're talking about, and, like, leaves. And, like, there's another issue or two where, like, Betty and Robbie are, like, meeting in the halls of the Daily Bugle. Like, what if someone finds out what we're doing? And it's like, no one will have to know for a while, Betty. And it's wow. it's set up that they're having an affair, but then, like, it turns out that, like, they're doing an expose on Marla Madison that they don't want Jameson to know about because apparently – Marla Madison's involved in like some scientific shenanigans at ESU that went wrong. I don't remember. It's the web of Spider-Man kind of sucked back then. So, and since you missed last month, here's another one. Shashan was brought back as Flash's physical therapist and then never mentioned again. What do you think happened? Was was what was the missing scene? Is it Betty's fault? Of course, it's Betty's fault. It's <laughs> the funny thing is, like, because um, there's an issue of Secret Avengers recently where Flash is in physical therapy, and the therapist is a man, and it's not Shashan, so she's disappeared. And um, in the recent issue of Venom, like, okay, around, I guess, going through the timeline of this, uh, to, so you can follow my thought process. Shashan's introduced, and then come reintroduced as his physical therapist, and come big time. Right afterwards, uh, Betty and Flash are back together. We don't know how. And then, in the re- and then Shashan's disappeared somewhere in between then. In the recent issue of Venom, you find out that I guess they might have reconciled by going to Aspen for a ski trip or something. So uh, apologies to the Asian-American community for, uh, I guess, the, the way that this scene's about to play out. And apologies to Brad for the negative iTunes review that this will no doubt bring. But... <laughs> Uh, All right, Hound, Hound Mountain, you've been warned. <laughs> apologies to Hound Mountain, um, and apologies to Greg Wiseman, who loves Shashan so much, apparently. Yeah. Uh, okay, so, and and hopefully this will make it in, because Greg likes to do little YouTube videos of, like, the different Crawl Space skits. This isn't as good as Oscorn and JR, but... You know, I see Flash, he's getting all excited about going on this trip, and then Betty shows up at the airport, and she's like, why the F is Shashan here? Oh, another sandwich, Flash, my rub? It's like, oh, she's my <laughs> physical therapist. Of course she has to oh be here. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> wow. <laughs> you've been going on about, you've been going on that on that scene since like he first put up was it was it Of course it's the one scene that sums up Shashan's character perfectly. <laughs> the mm. one thing that she did that gets taken out of context forever. So so the whole trip, you know, like there there's the fireplace, the bearskin rug, and you know, Betty and Flash are about to get it on, but Shashan keeps on cock blocking them, like shoving sandwiches in between them as they're about to kiss and you know. So so Betty invites her up, like, to the top of a mountain or something while Flash is sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> so, they can finally, so they can finally have it out, you know. And they start – and then Shashan, like, you know, she, she's wearing one of those, like, you know, fur-skinned, like, coats. And she takes it off, and underneath she's got her sister-son outfit from that horrible Bill Mantlo story. And she's like, mm-hmm. I've been waiting a long time for this brand. And then Betty, you know, takes off her coat. She's got, you know, the, her Rambo outfit from the 90s. And they start going at it, you know. And, and Betty's like, eventually, you know, Shashan gets the upper hand. Betty's hanging off of the branch, you know, about to fall to her doom. But she pulls out another grenade. And she's like, hey, Shashan, here's a sandwich for you. Shashan blows to bits, is never seen again. Betty fakes a suicide note. And, uh, <laughs> and, wow. and no one ever knows. Man, good job. Don't- Following up, uh, Donovan, do you think Carly Cooper is a salvageable character? I don't. Okay, I want to I I set the record straight for Carly Cooper. Yeah. She's not that bad. People take what how the what is bad is that the writers have made her, you know, to be like you know the Messiah and like you know Carly did this and Carly did that as a character herself. Besides like the stupid tattoo incident, she hasn't done anything that has really earned the uh, the the contempt that Betty Brant deserves actually in the fan community. I think that people think that like, oh, Carly's such a, uh, she's such a B or this, she's just that. I think people are still a little butthurt over the whole one more day thing as they should be, but Carly in her in herself, like separated from that whole, separated from that whole context, as an isolated character, she just she's she's fine. I mean, I don't, I don't dislike her. I don't I don't like how the writers writers so obviously like you know she must be with Peter, but I think first of all I think her story is played out, and second of all I think that. She was never really in, in and of herself that egregious of uh, a romantic love interest. So I think if you say yeah. she's a, I don't see how she's not a salvageable character because she was never she was never disgraced disgraced in the first place. I mean, what really has she done that was so god awful? Mm. She is a she is a fourth Mary Sue. Mm. Well, how about when she screamed at Peter? You know, what am I? Your girlfriend? Your date? You know. Your consort, you know, when when she went off on him like that, all psycho. Are you talking about the scene at the costume party, uh, the Halloween party? Yeah, yeah, but, think, like, yeah, but I think fans try to treat, like try to treat it as though she did that every time, and she did that like that one time. Yeah. Uh, aiming at me, how do you feel about slot making Doc Ock a major threat again? It feels like it's been many years since he has been. I agree. Doc Ock is, I think. Uh, number two in the Spider-Man villains. And at least when I grew up, the Green Goblin was off the table. He d- died in, was it 73? Yeah, close enough. 70, 73 when he died. And I started reading in the late 70s. And, and for all intents and purposes, Doc Ock was my main guy as the main uh, bad guy for Spidey and the Hobgoblin, close number two. So I, I like the Doc Ock is in the... Uh, and there's no... One thing the the that takes a little bit away from the modern books, uh, this ends of the Earth storyline is, you know, Doc Ox died several times. We've mentioned this before. There's no real threat. Oh, he's going to die really this time. So that's really just really. Kinda off. 
We mean it this time. Fourth time's the charm. He's going <laughs> to die. Right. So that that just is just kind of lost on me. But maybe it's maybe it's because I'm a long time reader. Maybe uh, a new Spider-Man reader is is takes that with a little bit more impact, but not me. Uh, have a good Easter, and even though I'm Jewish, bacon is on my breakfast plate today. So, so there you go, Shalom. Greg XP. <laughs> Holy cow, wheat cakes from Canada. Uh, started thread on the message board about Marvel miniseries back in the 80s and thought I'd throw it to the panelists. For some of us older readers who were purchasing comics in the 1980s, did you pick up any of them? If so, what are your thoughts? All right, we'll do this real cl- quick. If you've read this book, sound off what you think of it. Wolverine, cl- written by Claremont and Miller. What do you guys think? Awesome. Love that story. Secret Wars, Shooters, Zack and Layton, Epic, one of my all-time favorites. Loved it. Yep. Hell yeah. Secret Wars 2 was a turd. It's a, it's a sitcom <laughs> in... Um, Lol. Yeah. It's like a 1980s yeah. sitcom. Hercules by Bob Layton. Never read it? Nope. Long Shot by Nascenti and Adams. I have issue 4 where Spider-Man and She-Hulk are on the cover. I've seen it in my comic shop and I pass over it for Spider-Man. Yeah. West Coast Avengers by Roger Stern and uh, Bob Hall, I think. Good stuff. Kitty Pride and Wolverine, Claremont and Milgram. Nope. Great eh. stuff. Squadron Supreme, always wanted to read it. Never awesome, had it. Awesome, awesome. Epic. Hawkeye by Grunewald and Breedings. Very good. Cloak and Dagger by Matt Lowe and Leonardi. Fantastic. Vision and the Scarlet Witch by Matt Lowe and Leonardi. Very good. Nightcrawler by Dave Cockrum. <laughs> I've got it, haven't read it. It's, he's like on a pirate ship, if I remember correctly. Not read it either. Uh, Contest of the Champions, the first Marvel crossover by Grunewald, Grant, and Romita Jr. Kooky. I read it back in the day. Kooky. It was kooky. Yeah. It was a cosmic bet between uh, deities or whatever. Why are the deities always betting? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I see your spot. That's because humans are like their action figures, I guess. <laughs> Six from Sirius. I never, never heard, heard of it. it. Yeah, never no. It. Yeah. Fantastic Four versus the X-Men, Claremont and Bogdanovan. Nope. Bogdanovan. <laughs> okay, Electra Assassin by Miller and Sick. Ken Soy Very good. Trippy, yes. Punisher Furl Circle by Steve Grant and Mike Zack is epic. I like that epic. one a lot. Epic is a good word for that. Yep. Rocket Raccoon by Magnolia Mc- Mc- and Mantlo. Fun. Kooky and fun. I thought that guy in Fight Club. Avengers vs. X-Men was kind of a mess. We'll see this summer. Wait, because, wait, wait, wait a minute. There's already been an Avengers vs. X-Men. Yeah, back in the 80s. I, Roger Stern. I was about to say, I don't remember that, but, I mean, so what? We're going back to the well 20 years Jake. and doing the same goddamn story and per, trying to, you know, polish off as something new? To a six-year-old, this is new. J.R., surely yeah. you didn't think Marvel had an original idea. <laughs> Well, this is you know how in the modern one they're going after Hope Summers, and that one they were going after Magneto, who was wanted for war crimes. <laughs> again, uh, <laughs> again, Avengers versus I mean X Men versus Alpha Flight. Awesome. Really? Yes, that was a four issue limited series, and they they wound it wound up in Asgard, and Loki was like the central villain, and that thing was fantastic. That was Claremont. X Men versus Micronauts. Not read it. Firestar. Not read it. That was where she was with the Hellions and the White Queen. It was okay. Machine Man. Haven't read it. Nope. Anybody? Mm-mm. Iceman. I remember that one. I didn't know he had one. 
Yeah, he had a four-issue limited series in the 80s. Gargoyle. Nope. And the Submariner mini back in the 80s. Well, then, uh, right. wait a minute. Whoa, whoa. Are we talking about just miniseries here? Yeah, there was a four-issue miniseries of the Submariner, and then there was a there was like a 12-issue where it took a history of the character, if I remember correctly. Now, the, the Submariner book in the 60s was kick-ass. Yeah. With John Buscema yeah. and Stan Lee. Now, the one James wrote, I don't know why anybody would ever want to read that. That wasn't ever. that great. I like John Byrne's Submariner yeah. anymore about 90s. I thought that was solid. Yeah. Is the Jameis one the one where like he's a naked little boy running around the beach or something? Yes. He's like a teenager. Yeah, he falls in love with the blonde. It was a mess. I remember that. That was weird. Abu Aziz from Castlevania. BD, did you use the H? Did you use HTML to build this site, or did you do something omitting the need for that language? Uh, I use WordPress on the front page. PHPBB is the message board program, so I don't have to do much HTML at all, as opposed to back in 1998 when I made the site. On GeoCities, back in the day, I hand-typed all the HTML language. Wow. And that actually helps helped me learn how to make a website, and even to this day, even in WordPress sometimes, if you want a picture to be centered, I can go into the HTML and I can do the code for center and align right and align left and stuff like that. But no, I don't, it, it's a lot easier than it was all those years ago when I made it. JR, if Spencer talks about the Amazing Spider-Man game, will he get his opinion before finishing the game? Uh, if I'm reading this... He finishes them quick, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, I was about to say, if we, uh, you know, with a month off between podcasts, more than likely, if he gets the game, uh, he'll, um, you know, he'll have it beat before we, it rolls around again. Um, have it beat just, before you're finished driving home from Walmart. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I guess I just, now I think about it, I want to add something about what, you know, I have Spencer on occasionally. I mean, it's... I'm not trying to say, oh, gee, look at my kid, isn't he so cute, blah, blah, blah. But sometimes no. I do use him as a reality check. You know, I mean, I'm a 48-year-old no. yeah, man talking about comic books, and sometimes it's like, you know, well, wait a minute, you know, it, it's not for me. Let's talk to somebody who it's really for. So that's why I do it, you know. I, I think Spencer's awesome, and he does a good job. And I thought it was perfect because the cartoon's aimed at him, not any age group that's on the damn show. Exactly. That's kind of why so, I, I want to the best grade. <laughs> But, and he gave it he gave it an A minus if I remember correctly. I mean, that's, so. that's kinda why I said I want you to watch this and stuff because I yeah. thought you know, we're all going except for Don who's, you know, a, a teenager. I mean all of us are over twenty, some <laughs> of us well over twenty, and we'd be talking about a cartoon, so you know. Exactly. What a graduate college. George George, I hope you don't stop borrowing your friends' comics. Your reviews are essential and you still give plenty of issues a pretty decent score for considerable waste. Plus to stay on the show pretty pleased. Done. All right, he's a regular. Bertoni, between Batman from All Star and Bat, All Star Batman and Robin, and Deadpool from Six One Six Marvel, who is more obnoxious and why? Deadpool, because Deadpool will keep on coming at you, and All Star Batman and Robin will come at you with something annoying. Then he'll disappear for a year. Then he'll come back for like you know a few minutes. Then he'll disappear for two years. I don't think that book's ever coming back. Do you guys? All Star Batman. I don't Robin. want it to. Yeah. It's an ad- Don, it was an annual for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Don, Reno Romero, or Neil Patrick Harris, who sounds more fun as Spider-Man? Looking forward to SM Unlimited reviews on the homepage. You've already got it, sir. Uh, so who do you like on the voice? Um, is Reno Romano or Reno Romero? Anyway, that guy, I like, Neil Patrick Harris does a decent job. I think Reno Romano does a lot, he is a very, very, very solid Spider-Man voice. Um, especially in the, the PlayStation slash Dreamcast games. I mean, that was a, that was a great Spider-Man performance. He had the serious stuff down. He got the, the, the quippage down. 
uh, unlimited. I mean, those unlimited reviews are coming. I'm actually putting them off. That's why I want to straight for the MTV reviews because I don't want to watch that show. But uh, oh, I oh I I misread that. I thought he said Spider-Man Ultimate. I'm sorry. Yeah, the Ultimate uh, Spider-Man Unlimited reviews ought to be epic. Uh, <laughs> I would agree. Uh, like to scotch that. <laughs> JR, get Donovan some scotch, please. <laughs> All, everybody, mention one of your favorite moments from the 90s. Something personal to you and doesn't involve fiction. Oh, God. Wait, so, like, <laughs> like, like, what does he mean? Like, like a moment, like, learning how to ride a bike or, like, you know, or the, the – doesn't involve fiction. Like, politics? Okay. Like, well, I lost my virginity in the 90s, so that will be nine, my number one. <laughs> 1994, the birth of my daughter. Aw. There you go. Um, we we have a child and virginity. Top that, somebody. <laughs> I was right. a child, <laughs> and I and I still had virginity. That I learned how to swim, ride a bike, and and was in taekwondo. George, I'm thinking. Um, <laughs> I'm sure he kicked the shit out of the X Men at some point in the nineties. I just don't remember. Why. <laughs> he he said it doesn't involve fiction though. Oh no! It's a fact. He kicked their ass. <laughs> yeah, it's right there. I've seen it several times. Pictures. <laughs> oh, all right. Iron Patriot from China. To Donovan, are there any Spider-Man villains that you want to see star in their own limited series of graphic novel, like a Zello's Joker or Lex Luthor, Man of Steel? Um, I don't know, man. Um, actually, I actually have the idea. I think when I was watching the uh, Ultimate cartoon, it would be cool to see like a, a mini series or limited series with. Harry and Norman Osborn. Um, although it does depend on how they're being written, because Josh and I have talked about a lot. Take a shot, uh, Steve Rogers. That um, they've changed. They've kind of changed who Harry is as a character and how Norman is, and they'll probably be like super fancy rich. But I think it would still be an excellent opportunity for a graphic novel series. Well, we had that Osborn mini, and it was horrible. And we had that American Son. With uh, I'm thinking more of like the, the Roger Stern stuff where we learned about Norman's father and grandfather, that kind of stuff. Like a backstory. Yeah. I got you. To Bertoni, do you miss having satellite titles with their own identities, or do you like one continuous story like Avenging as the only other spider title? When you say do I miss satellite titles, I mean I miss certain satellite titles. I don't know if I miss satellite titles in general, but I mean like I miss being able to pick up a Peter David, you know, Friendly Neighborhood issue. Those were fun. Yep. But it's, I mean, I don't care if it's in the main book or another book. I just want good titles. I don't care if it's satellite or not, truth be told. We want we want good books. We don't want a third Spider-Man web of Spider-Man story with a, a green dude from outer space written by Stan's brother. I do we miss um, the anthology books, though, because I, I noticed those didn't sell well and a lot of people didn't like those. But I, di- I liked because they were able to tell too. stories that you couldn't tell in the other books. The thing about anthologies, it was always hit and miss. Some were really good, like that Tangled Web with the uh, the Kingpin. Who wrote that one? Greg Rucka. The, Greg, Greg Rucka. Rucka. That, that was a good. That was a good one. But then you had Web Spinners, the first three, and I love D. Mateus, but the artwork on that thing. Oh my gosh. Oh my god. Man. <laughs> Oh, God, I meant bad. like the the web of Spider-Man uh, and Amazing Spider-Man family. And Spec like, and Friendly Neighborhood, yeah. Yeah, th- I th- those I liked. The, where like the different stories where like you had an Aunt May story, you you know, sometimes you had like, mm-hmm. you know, you had a story about when Matt Gargan was Venom, he went after the new Scorpion, and, like which, which was a stupid, you know, like story and execution. But it's an interesting idea that you can't do like, you know, in the books now. Yeah. 
Dark Je- uh, Knight Jared from Arizona with the latest episode. The panel mentioned their utter loathing of for Aunt May hooking up with Jonah Sr. My question is, what do you guys think of May dating Jarvis during JMS's run and, and when they were in the Avengers Tower? That Jarvis was a scroll in hindsight, I guess. Aunt- but it made, it made sense at the time, I would think. Whenever Aunt May gets together with another man, like, there's always that talk among fandom as if, like, it's this revolutionary thing and she's finally getting over Uncle Ben. And I was really annoyed in that. Like, <laughs> I wasn't so much annoyed about her having sex with Jonah Sr. on panel, but, like, the next issue where, like, Aunt May's like, is this okay, Peter? And he looks at the picture of Uncle Ben and gets all moody. Like, not only has Aunt May dated so many other guys, but, like, she's almost gotten married a few times, too. Like, she had Nathan years. Yeah. Like, Nathan... And, and they didn't get engaged after a long courtship. Like when when she fir- when he first meets Nathan, it's like this is my fiance. She even went out with Willie Lumpkin. Willie, Willie Lumpkin, Lumpkin, Nathan Lipinski, yeah. Jarvis, yeah. JJ. Like she's been with like, like almost five every, guys since Uncle Ben. Every old dude in the Marvel universe is hooked up with Aunt May. Like Aunt May's gotten more play than Peter has. I would agree. She's like a screen door. Everybody's slamming it. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> da, 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 da. TNR 105. His location is reading shitty comics, and he has an epic avatar of Frank Gorshin as the Riddler messing with his tie. That, that is avatar a pimp, is awesome. Pimp, pimp Riddler right there. Like a boss right there. That's what I'm saying. Hey, George, uh, for, for one Fight Club thing, like event, you should have everyone has to pick a 1960s Adam West Batman character. That would be good. It could be like Biff Pal Month. That would be epic. <laughs> BD, what about Gwen Stacy? What about Gwen Stacy appeals to people? Going back and reading these issues, she seems to be put on a pedestal just for dying. Personally, I found her to be a typical bitchy girlfriend, Mary Sue. Um, like I said, the the girlfriend that I grew up with in the '80s was Mary Jane. That's why that's the appeal I have. Uh, Gwen Stacy was. Uh, Bertoni, she wasn't the first love, was she? Wasn't Betty the first love? Liz Allen the first love? Well, it depends on what you define as love. Like, when was his first, like, you know, deep, deep love? Whereas you can say that yeah. his love for Betty in retrospect was just, you know, teenage love. love that he thought was, like, you know, something more real. I don't I, – I, I, there is something to be said for uh, people have a – Love dying makes people more attractive, if that's even a word, or, or a uh, thought. I, I mean, think it's because, uh, or I don't mean to interrupt, but if, if no, I, no, I'm, I'm done. I mean, I, I don't know why she's why what what appeals I to her. I mean, when, when you're reading the comics, uh, not I would say as they come up, but when you're reading like the essentials and the old issues as they were mm-hmm. written, she's just a basic Silver Age girlfriend. When she dies, it gives a sense of tragedy to say, oh, she it was it's such a horrible thing that she died and. Over the years, she's become like the, literally like, like like this sainted version w- that was the most innocent and pure thing ever. Whereas, I mean, till Norman touched her, yeah. And <laughs> when, 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 in reality, she, I mean, she was just she was just a woman. I mean, she was just like this this. She was an average girlfriend. She doesn't. Yeah, it was it was horrible that she died, but she's not. And I think everybody realizes that she was not like as wonderful as let's, let's say the '90s sort of portray she was. Yeah. So I, I don't think J.R. has said, said as much on his, on his article. Gwen was a bipolar psycho. <laughs> yep. J.R., you agree with that? Well, actually, I'm not the one who wrote a series of articles on Gwen in the uh, in this room. Um, Josh, did you? Yeah. 
No, I, it's her death put her on a pen. She was a Silver Age girlfriend, and Silver Age girlfriends like could only act a certain way and had a certain role to portray. She was no different than what was going on in the other books. And had she lived to like the eighties and nineties and other stuff, she probably would have evolved. Because if they would have killed off Harry on May or anyone else back then, like they would just be these caricatures that we learned about later. And because these characters, like Gwen, never got to evolve, like. She's just Silver Age girl. And that's why whenever you see her in flashbacks, and this drives me nuts, she's still wearing, like, the like her 70s clothes. Like, mm-hmm. she's never in, like, you know, 90s fashions or 80s fashions. Whereas, like, she's got know, that headband in her hair, yeah. yeah. Harry and like, Peter and MJ, they all changed their wardrobe. Imagine if every time you saw Mary Jane, she was wearing a John Romita Sr. outfit. It's... Which, Do you think she'd still be the main love interest if she didn't die today? No, uh, she she'd be another Betty Brant, and I don't mean like a horrible person, but I mean like just an ex someone he an ex girlfriend someone that's he's around moved the book. on, he, someone he's moved on from. Yeah, okay. I, th- I actually think that she might be a little more uh, like she'd be like Pepper Potts. She probably she might be still around, but she wouldn't mm-hmm. be like 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 the greatest of of the Spider-Man's characters. Right. JR, I think we all agree that it's time for Norman to get back under the Goblin mask, but how difficult do you think it will be to get him there and keep him there? Are you afraid the character has been tainted now that Ben has touched him <laughs> in the bathing suit region? <laughs> oh, Gross. Tidy whitey. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, it just depends. I, I don't know what Bendis's role in the Marvel Universe is going to be going forward, but frankly, any writer will be free, I think, should be free to ignore what Bendis did. Uh, You know, like, remember when at the end of, um, oh, when Spider-Man, before uh, the reboot started, where Norman was taken away to the insane asylum and they ripped his mask off and it was like, oh my God, his face! Like something (laughs) happened to him, you know, (laughs) and then Roger Stern brought him back and just basically ignored it. Uh, You know, just had him grinning like a fool, you know. Uh, I'll forget about that, yeah. Yeah, whoever writes it, you know, if they is perfectly free to ignore. I mean, whatever Captain America said is, you know, that his brain is fried and his body is, you know, I mean, that's ambiguous enough. It doesn't necessarily mean anything. So, um, you know, it's like ignoring ignoring Kevin Smith's stupid death of Mysterio story. You know, Mm -hmm. you just you just ignore it and move on. George, have you played Avengers Alliance, the Facebook game? No, no. Bertoni, what does it say about the current Spider-Man that the best Spider-related book doesn't feature Spider-Man but Flash Thompson with the symbiote? Well, that that's all in the eye of the beholder. I enjoy Venom more, but that's because last summer I had to do a whole lot of research on Flash Thompson for those Flash and Betty articles. And, like, it because of all that research, I kind of have more of an attachment to Flash Thompson now, like, than, you know, Peter Parker, who I've been reading about for decades and who, you know, I haven't really... I haven't read as many, like, Flash solo stories where he's, like, the lead guy, so it's a new thing for me, and after, you know, last summer, it's something that I'm looking forward to more, so that's just, it's better for me because of the state of mind I'm in at the time, but, I mean, somebody else might be enjoying Ends of the Earth more, you know, and thinking that that's a good book and that this Venom stuff is crap. Don, what are your thoughts on the original series of Batman films? 89 is good, but hasn't aged well. I personally like Forever more than Returns and wish they made a Robin to Nightwing solo film rather than the atrocity of Batman and Robin. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny because, like, uh, I, I've, I, over the years, I've kind of had, like, a, like an inconsistent view on the Batman films. There's actually, like, a, a st- if I can indulge the audience for a second, like, I was because I was born in April of 89, and I think 
Batman came out in the summer of '89. My parents took me to see it as you know as a crying infant, which wasn't a very smart move. In fact, I started <laughs> I probably started crying, and they had they had to leave the audience or they had to leave the theater. Wait, wait till they get a load of Don. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, cause, um, I, I, I've recently seen a couple of times lately. Yeah. Batman, the first Batman movie is really good. Uh, it really, I like, I love how they kind of present him as this dark, you know, mysterious figure. Although there's a, there's a lot of personal things I really detest. Like, uh, it looks, it looks, first of all, it looks kind of, it kind of looks older than the year it came out with. And also, Batman Killings is, is, you know, you never do that. Um, I don't really like Returns that much, although I know Josh, Josh and I talked about this, he, 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 he enjoys it, and um, I just don't like, I think Tim Burton got really masturbatory with how he was doing all the goth <laughs> stuff. Um, Forever is actually like my favorite of the, of the original four, although I, I saw it recently again, it's actually not that great, but I do like when they, when they do kind of take it seriously. Batman and Robin, honestly, it's hilarious. You cannot watch that movie seriously, and if you don't, it's, it's wonderful to just kind of sit back with you know with some popcorn and laugh how crazy it is. I saw it in the theater. Good God! Uh, and to everyone, be honest. How often do you find yourself playing with your action figures, setting them up in poses, displays? I recently babysat my seven-year-old cousin. I actually played with my figures. It was a nice, nostalgic experience. I, I straighten them up. They get cluttered on my desk. I don't really play with them, I don't think. Define play with them. <laughs> we won't. Uh, Dave Lar, <laughs> no location, but Spider-Man's getting hit with a brick in his avatar. If a new fan wanted to start reading from Amazing Fantasy 15 onwards, at what point would you advise him to stop? Amazing Spider-Man issue one. <laughs> Two issues you got to read. To avoid immense pain and frustration. I can feel this one. Go ahead. Well, definitely, I would recommend that you stop before you hit Civil War. Um, but I would also, I would also suggest, oh God, there's a whole period there from about October 1994 through about December 1996 that I would really <laughs> freeze right over and just act like it never effing happened. Um, we're talking like Web of Spider-Man number 117 to 129. Uh, Sensational Spider-Man number 0 through 11, ASM number 394 to 418, Spider-Man number 51 to 75, Spectacular Spider-Man. Where's, where's Zach when you need him? 217 to 240, and Spider-Man Unlimited uh, uh, number 7 through 14. I would skip those. No Clone Saga, sir. Uh, <laughs> Dan Man 007 from Grand Cayman, Cayman Islands. Happy Easter, everyone. Thank you. Recently, director of the Amazing Spider-Man movie, Mark Webb, and Gwen Stacy herself, Emma Stone, have spoken about the differences between Mary Jane and Gwen. Oh the sentiments are in the following quotes. Quote, in the comics, Gwen fell for Peter Parker, and Mary Jane was more after Spider-Man, Mark Webb said. And he also followed it with, Gwen is in love with Peter Parker in spite of him being Spider-Man. I take that back. Emma Stone said that last quote. Previously, Emma Stone said, quote, Gwen falls in love with Peter Parker while I think Mary Jane fell in love with Spider-Man. How does everyone on the panel feel towards these statements from the director and Miss Stone, and do you think they are misinformed on Mary Jane's character? Dan Slott, is that you? <laughs> That's been one of Dan Slott's, like, biggest criticisms of Parallel Lives, is that, like, it makes Mary Jane being someone who chased after Spider-Man and into a superhero groupie and like, and that her love for Peter was always a lie and it made a lie out of all those stories because she always fell in love with him as Spider-Man first and Peter Parker later, which that's an interpretation of the story that I don't jive with because she did not want to meet him because he was Spider-Man and 
the Spider-Man thing was always a tricky thing for her, and that's why she kept him at an arm's distance. And, and it was through falling in love. Yeah, it was but. through falling in love with Peter Parker that she was able to accept him as Spider-Man. Mary yeah. Jane was attracted to Peter the first day she saw him. Yeah, well, not so much. Mm-hmm. I agree. Actually, well, uh, I, don't, I think she was, but like, yeah, she she just handled it differently. She's like, Peter, Peter's not looking at me. Let me like have Flash and Harry play this prank on him. Then he'll ask me out. Cassidy eighty six BD. Do you own any valuable comics that aren't spider related, such as the number ones of Fantastic Four Daredevil? Uh, I don't own either one of those. I own the first appearance of Wolverine. I have a complete run of Hulk from 102 to current, so that includes Hulk 180, 181, 182. So those are pretty valuable. JR, I know you weren't a fan of Paul Jenkins' new villains, but did you like his handling of Norman Osborn, particularly particular in PPSM 25? I always thought Norman... Paul Jenkins handled Norman quite well, uh, yeah. not as well as Warren Ellis, for example, or, or even Bendis at times. But uh, I think he I think he nailed various aspects of the character. And, uh, you know, even, you know, unintentionally in a way such as Norman's capacity for self-delusion and and what a miserable human being he is deep down. So, you know, it's not the best interpretation of Norman, but but I think it, it is a good one. Was that the toothpaste one? Yes. OK. George, I just started watching the Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes on Netflix, and it does kick ass. So thanks for saying that on the podcast. Speaking of animation, do you think Marvel could have an adult-based animation lineup in the tone of HBO's animated Spawn show and utilize characters such as Daredevil or the Punisher properly? Um, they could, but they won't. Disney doesn't really have an adult animation outlet the way like um, something couldn't like yeah, or uh, Adult Swim on comedy, or not Comedy Central, Cartoon Network, or uh, and there's no way that they're going to have a show on HBO. That being said, The Punisher as an HBO series would kick all the ass on Earth. That could yeah. be so effing good. What about Punisher on Fox, which is actually <laughs> no, no, it has to be done on cable because I it agree. has to, it has to be graphic, it has to be brutal, violent, and uncompromising. And and just the level think, of carnage. Think Dexter. Think Dexter. No, it, it has to make Dexter look like Strawberry Shortcake. <laughs> <laughs> Bertoni, not Spider-Man related. I'm I'm taking a history of rock and roll course and would like your opinion on a Beatles question. What are the differences between Paul and John's songwriting styles? What are their strengths and weaknesses? And do you prefer one or the other? This is an hour-long discussion that can turn into a book. To sum it up in a few sentences and then directing you to somewhere else. It's their differences have kind of been exaggerated by a lot of Beatles fans who like who like to make them out to be these direct opposites and rivals like, you know, John wrote sappy love songs and that's what people know him Paul for and Paul has written like hard rockers, which is what people attribute to John. The biggest difference that I would say though and John brought this up in the 1980s Playboy interviews that John tended to later in his life he could only write songs about himself and his personal experiences usually. Whereas Paul would be able to write, like, songs about boring people doing boring jobs. Like, you know, Paul could write something like Eleanor Rigby or Another Day, you know, songs that were not about him. Whereas John, that was more difficult for John. But um, I will address your question further in depth on a different podcast. There you go. Don, I know you're a fan of Chew. Mm -hmm. Oh, the comic, not, like, tobacco. 
Uh, but are there any other <laughs> Image comics that you've been enjoying? I recommend The Strange Talent of Luther Strode. It's basically an R-rated Spider-Man. I'm afraid I'm not. Uh, I've given I've, I've I glanced at the odd issue of uh, Invincible, but I can't really say that I, I can. Rec- I've seen this enough to recommend them, so I'm sorry. I like Walking Dead. Would I not like uh, Invincible? I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not. I'm not read enough Invincible. I read the first issue of Walking Dead. That's just not my taste. I'm not saying it's bad. I just wasn't really invested into it. I I ordered all the trades. I'm officially caught up to the last trade. Slut. I love it. I, I spent the last couple months just reading Walking Dead, and I freaking love it. To anyone, has anyone read any of the season one graphic novels that Marvel released? <laughs> no. I, I Those are no, out. I have no interest to see another origin of Spider-Man. I really, I, I didn't even order it. You're going to see one this summer. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, Dark Card King. First post ever. Thank you, sir. To the gang, even though Marvel floods us yearly with massive crossover events, i.e. Civil War and Fear itself, are there any crossover events that you remember enjoying? Galactic Storms? Marvel vs. DC. Galactic Storms? Oh, that was a big 19-part Avengers, wasn't it? Yeah. That that actually had repercussions, too. I liked Secret Wars back in the day. It oh, had yeah, a yeah. for a full, full year. Yeah, I I like Acts of Vengeance, where the heroes fought different villains, and Spider-Man became cosmic. I thought I enjoyed that. Yeah, that one I was uh, enjoyed Civil War as it was coming out. Like I was I was looking forward to the next part, engaging the story. I dropped Secret Invasion. I wasn't really enjoying that. I didn't really enjoy Fear Itself that much. What impact did it have on Spider-Man besides he was a little wimp and went home to get married Aunt May? He did what? He did. He was like, oh, it's getting real tough down here with Avengers. I need to go be with Aunt May. This is the end of the world. Yeah, I remember, remember that. I, I, I just didn't care for that at all. He's a hero. He's He has a responsibility. What is wrong with city. Marvel and Spider-Man these days? I'm, never mind. I'm sorry. That's a tangent. That's another, that's this another was a big hour. controversy when it happened, Don. Yeah. Was I asleep? <laughs> I think the writer was. You were probably yelling uh, about Starfire or something. Oh, wait, yeah. that was me. Last <laughs> last poster, Pirate Beck. It's been a while since I had the opportunity to post University and all, but some questions recently came my way, so I really wanted to see how you'd respond to the entire gang. Have you ever had a dream or nightmare where the cast of Spider-Man or the creative talent <laughs> have been involved with him appeared. For example, I once dreamt about meeting Peter David for the first time, and while getting some comic sign, I accidentally insulted his work. Later, during a dance recital that he was directing, <laughs> I couldn't get into it, and I started and I and shouted to someone, waiting that they could go instead. He pulled me back, Peter David, and whispered pretty bitter tears that I was, quote, a piece of trash. I've never heard someone sound bored while getting their comic signed. Holy I'll shit. I'll you from every convention you've ever had. This is an epic dream, sir. I then awoke with overwhelming guilt, and even though it was only a dream, still felt as though I should apologize for my poor conduct, Peter David. I was wondering if any of you experienced something similar. It just so happens I had a dream about Peter David. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Anybody? No, I... I uh, I have not had a dream about Dan Slott. I'm sorry. Or anybody pirate, pirate back, whatever you were drinking or smoking before you had this dream, stop it immediately for your life's sake. Don't smoke Check out his research. avatar. Even Spider-Man's sleeping in the avatar. I love this. <laughs> Quarter to five in the morning. Man, nobody had a Spider-Man um, dream. I, I know I know when we were going to Comic-Con, like in like the few days before then, I, I know I dreamed about 
meeting some professionals, but I don't remember I don't remember how I reacted or if they didn't like me or whatever. I you know what? I probably had dreams of us doing a in person podcast. I, I think that would be fun. I think I've had that dream. Or the last podcast you would ever hear. <laughs> so what so Brad, what you're saying is that on some level you've dreamed about me. Why yes. On some level, <laughs> haven't we all, George? And you were in a bacon bikini for some reason. I don't understand. Uh, uh man why. <laughs> Man, Kenny. Uh, man, oh, you got. And also, Pirate's other question is, uh, it's been revealed that Spider-Man will be appearing in Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes later this season, along with Wolverine and other heroes. His outfit is different to the one that he wears in Ultimate Spider-Man, suggesting that it's a different continuity, and it could lead to Keaton, Josh Keaton, reprising his role, similar to that of a Stephen Blum Wolverine. Any thoughts? Sounds cool. I thought the whole purpose of a... Marvel owning the cartoons was to have it all one universe. Um, I would like hence, for the, hence like the the Batman animated series and the Superman animated series they had a crossover at one time. Mm-hmm. I would like very much for the new Jackass the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon to not have anything to do with the actual Jackass <laughs> Avengers cartoon. Okay, uh, and finally to Don. Yeah. I'd like to hear from all of you also. After publishing its final issue of X-23 last month, what are your thoughts on Marvel not publishing any comics with a female lead until 2013 at the earliest, which is that Captain Marvel, Ms. Marvel, Carol Danvers book? Uh, so they got rid of... Um, what happened to Ms. Marvel? I know Ms. Marvel had a title a while ago. She, she ended at issue 50 a couple of years ago. Just didn't sell sales. Mm. X-23 sales. The answer is sales. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's a cop out answer, I think, honestly, because well, they shouldn't publish. Oh, go ahead. Well, Don, but... well no, you're right. I mean, it, it's like the static. If the sales weren't good. The sales weren't good. But I think that that's becoming a cop out answer where you have a chance to sort of diversify your line and say, oh, well, it didn't work. What else can we do? I don't know. I mean, like, because I think Marvel has a lot better, a lot, a lot more, uh, really better. Okay, let me rephrase. I think Marvel has a lot more uh, cool female characters than DC does. You know, DC has, does have a lot of cool female characters. Um, and oh, <laughs> Josh knows this. I think I think all, everybody who listens to me on any show knows this. That like over the past six months, I'm becoming more and more infuriated with the female treatment of comic books characters. Um, <laughs> I think that it for them for them not to even I, I don't know they're like like she hulk where'd she go scarlet witch i know she's in the x-men versus adventures but I, I think there are times where you can at least try to have a uh, top tier creators and really really try to push it forth than just concentrate on your 20th bendis adventures miniseries i think the priorities are getting mixed up and i think that's like when i see instances like uh like Dan is saying, oh, well, why do, you, why do you care if we only have 1% of uh, female creators? Or, I mean, like, back in the 60s, uh, I know Pyrex noticed this, they had Millie the Model. And that was at least something, you know? It wasn't great, but it was, it was, it was, it was something to diversify the line. So this do, is kind of do the comic book uh, publishers owe it to the female readers to publish something that doesn't sell? God damn, they do, because it's like, they, they, <laughs> well, they push... Why, why would they print stuff that would lose money? Well, you're... This is this is going back to the whole thing like oh if it doesn't sell then we can't try again I mean like okay granted if something doesn't sell like the Ghost Rider female thing then you can't really push that forth but I think that to me you know as me as a male reader I think that they they, they try every now and then but it's bullshit uh, uh, attempts like well, those those are the whole like 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 fashion Marvel thing 
Like, look at Mary Jane, try on clothes or whatever. It, I feel that a lot of it is kind of limp-wristed, half-hearted things. And then half, other, other half the time, this is, oh, well, girls don't read her comics, which there's at least 100 female comic reading tumblers out there saying that they do. So I think that a lot of these excuses where, oh, it doesn't sell, or, oh, we, we can't concentrate on this or this or whatever, I'm finding a lot of that doesn't really hold water where you get towards what, the what's, fans. What's the last Marvel book that was simply a female character that was not a copy of a male? There's She-Hulk. There's Ms. Marvel, copy of Captain Marvel. There's Spider-Girl. There's Spider-Woman. There's X-23. They're not original. There's She-Thing. Uh, that one, that's, that's so low. <laughs> um, she, she had a title, I'd read that. It, can you name a female character that was introduced that wasn't a copy of a male, at least from Marvel? Storm, Rogue. Uh, they, they haven't had their own ongoing series. I thought they did. I know Rogue didn't do... No, they had, they had miniseries. You know what? Rogue, I take that back. During the 90s, Rogue did have like a 12-issue series, and so did... Uh, maybe not Storm. I don't know. Dazzler. I mean, I, Dazzler. They, yeah. Boom, boom. Dazzler. Um, Oak and Dagger. I think. I, I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying these are the greatest characters ever, but I, <laughs> I know Marvel has. There's been there's been instances where they can do better than what, they, what they've been doing, and I again like like they said. Oh well, it's not selling well. Oh, yeah, that's 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 a reason. But is that the primary reason that you can't like like really seriously? Why can't this, Bendis in this market? Yes, I think. I, I, I mean, I, I know I know you have examples like Bendis writing Spider Woman and all that, but I feel that I don't know. It's it's not as simple as oh guys don't want to read that, so we don't put it forth. I, I I'm it's sort of a more complicated issue than that, but I'm basically venting about the whole situation. I I, I agree. Guys like to look at women, and I I think it would be an easy transition to sell a looking a, a good looking woman. In in a book, I really wouldn't suggest that. Well, <laughs> I, well, I always I suggest, have to run. Well, hell, you had Lady Death, and I'm not going for that angle. I mean, I don't know what I'm thinking. It's 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 the show's been going on so long. I'm losing my mind. Uh, <laughs> final thoughts. Let's wrap it up. Jr. Final thoughts, sir. Uh, no, I don't have any. I'm done. Exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> We're all exhausted. Bertoni. Final thoughts. Are we doing recommendations? No. <laughs> <laughs> I am, by God. All right, hit it real quick. Well, let Bertoni do his recommendations first. Okay, go ahead, Bertoni. Okay, um, Bertoni Beetle Bonanza, the first podcast that I ever did, which will be eight years old this October, um, and it was on permanent hiatus, which is – turned out the hiatus wasn't permanent. I got a notice in the mail, so yay. Um, since – as we're recording this, I've already released five episodes in the past month, so it's nice. uh, weekly coming out on Wednesday. So person who asked the John Paul question – I'll hit it up on the next show. Really excited about that being back. That's great. Um, quick recommendation, the Aladdin trilogy series from uh, that Disney did in the 90s. Watched it again recently with the kids. was a lot better than I thought it was. And even the sequels, because, like, Disney sequels kind of have a reputation for sucking. Apparently, like, there was a time when Disney sequels were actually somewhat quality. The second one isn't as good, but the third one was really, really, like, on par with some of the stuff that's you know, that, that they put out in theaters. So, Aladdin for Tony Beetle Bonanza, go. George, um, final thoughts, recommendations, I, whatever you like. I, I just got into True Blood recently, and True Blood kicks ass. It's like Swamp People and Bubba Hotep had a kid, and I can't get enough of it. I especially love season two, where they bring in uh, Ensign Roe from Star Trek as some kind of crazy-ass demon lady that gets the whole yeah. town to start fighting and humping. And also, uh, <laughs> today on Amazon, uh, I bought... The entire Robotech series for thirty-five Hell bucks. Yeah. They got it collected for thirty-five bucks. I also bought 
um, the original, the complete Dungeon and Dragons cartoon from the '80s for six dollars. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's on Amazon right now for six bucks or like six ninety nine or something like that. And also nice. the the 2002 He-Man series, um, the complete series for like ten bucks. Nice. So there you go. Nice. Don, final thoughts. Uh, um, I got Rockless Modern Live Season 2 on DVD, <laughs> which is fun. Uh, keep on reading Spidey. There you go. Gang, thank you as always. We will be back in May. And we'll wrap up the show right about there. Before we go, I want to give another shout-out to our sponsor, MailOrderComics.com. An example of their great prices is on the Spider-Man Revenge of the Sinister Six hardcover. This one collects Spider-Man number 15, along with 18 to 23. It's a fun Eric Larson romp from the 90s. The cover price is 30 bucks. Mail Order has it for just $18.59. So check them out at our sponsor, MailOrderComics.com. Also, like them on Facebook. Just type in Mail Order Comics in the search bar. Thanks for listening, gang. I'm your host and webmaster, Brad Douglas, for the SpiderManCrawlspace.com.